Welcome. You have found us. This is the Riot Underground. This is the program where we get to speak with the instigators that are changing the world with disruptive technology. And agitators. And the agitators and uh, all of the above. So Tony Smarco is here in the studio with us. It's great to be in person. Tony, you are the Director of Technology Strategy for Device Solutions. Uh, tell us a little bit about yourself and about device. Well, first, thanks, Tom, for having me. And thanks for uh, providing this platform for all your folks to learn about really interesting technology that that you're a part of, that we're a part of. It's a really exciting times coming out of uh, coming out of COVID and the lockdown. We're actually getting to see a lot of people utilize our technology, which is very exciting, especially one that quote saves lives. So we'll we'll get into that in a second. Um, my background started as a software uh, from, I'm from uh, Ohio, from the Dayton, Cincinnati area, went to Miami University, um, started working on a lot of government software projects and uh, moved to North Carolina in 1991 to work with Ericsson and Sony Ericsson. And that's actually where Tom and I met, uh, longtime employees of, of Sony Ericsson, working on uh, bringing cell phones, wireless technology to the U.S., so really from the birth of cell phone technology in the U.S. to where we are today. Device Solutions was actually created in 2003 by two former Ericsson, Sony Ericsson employees, Bob Witter and Chris Lamb, who we all worked with together at Sony and Sony Ericsson. So the expertise of Device Solutions is primarily in wireless services and uh, consulting, boutique engineering consulting services. You've been involved in tons of projects and Device Solutions continues today in cutting edge wireless. You know, the start of digital mobile telephony, 2G, 3G, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, you're working in a really interesting new space now. Tell us a little bit about that. For the uh, the ATSC3 project? Yeah. Okay. So uh, how, how far back do you want me to go? <laughs> well, it, it, it all started. <laughs> with uh, wireless research, uh, Al Sadowski from uh, WRC was having a conversation with uh, one of our very good friends, Red Grasso, who works for the North Carolina Department of Information Technology. He is also the director for First Tech, which is a first responder uh, forum. Um, they were attending some discussions with respect to ATSC3 and data casting applications, and both having backgrounds in wireless and emergency services. Red was a volunteer uh, volunteer firefighter. Thinking about this 30-year-old technology of analog page outs and the existing pager technologies that the emergency responders have today and how antiquated it is, how expensive it is, how unreliable it is, and hey, this interesting new data cast, casting technology might really be an incredible use case to bring the paging technology to the forefront for better reliability, better coverage, uh, better situational awareness, more information to our first responders. So they started with a concept, just with a white paper that they published it got some very good reception within the DHS, the Department of Homeland Security Community, S&T, Science and Technology. And they were able to work with DHS, 
an SBIR, the small business uh, area within DHS, to actually write a grant, to write a grant to say, we are interested in companies that could do a feasibility study on this and see if it's something that we could do. It's a phase one feasibility study to see if this technology could be moved forward for this application. And I, I want to talk more about the pilot because I think it's a really, really cool project. Before we jump to that, you know, it's interesting because for a lot of our listeners, I think it's probably been a long time since they've even thought of the term pagers or paging. And uh, but, but our emergency broadcast system, this idea of sometimes we need to let everyone know that there's a disaster, you know, it interrupts the, us while we're listening to the radio in the car or whatever. These are old analog systems. But as you know, you know, even broadcast television became digital a few years back. Mm-hmm. That opened up a lot of spectrum because the digital broadcast didn't require as much radio spectrum as analog. Mm-hmm. And so you're repurposing some of the spectrum in a new way. That's that right. A good way to think of it? it. It is. So think about uh, when this broadcast technology was rolled out, all the TV manufacturers immediately started providing that technology in the, in the product that you buy. There was a transition period where the government had to supply, remember the free uh, set-top boxes that, that everybody that the government actually provided to allow you to continue to use your old TVs with these boxes that would receive the new ATSC digital technology. So now that we have this spectrum that's far more spectrally efficient, um, it's a lot. It's a lot of spectrum that right now they don't need all of it to provide their video content. So what's part of their mandate? What's part of public broadcast mandate is to serve the people. And one of the really nice areas of serving people with these data casting applications that can ride on all this extra bandwidth is emergency response. So you get the phase one grant. We do. To go out and build a proof of concept. Correct. Tell so, us about it. And, and who, who were the other partners involved? Right. So, of course, one of the one of the key partners was the Wireless Research Center of North Carolina. So um, they are the RF experts and they are the ones that understand what needs to be done from a broadcast perspective to get the kind of coverage and penetration we need to provide the RF modeling that the receiver design is based on to provide the design of the antenna in the receiver device, realize at this time, all the receivers were plugged in and were not mobile. They were TVs and homes. So we're breaking ground in this feasibility study with a handheld, low power, low cost device to actually receive these messages. Now you may have just heard (laughs) <laughs> for, the, for those who are listening online, we have this device in the studio right now, and I think we just received an emergency page. We did. So uh, we'll get more into this in a minute, but uh, yeah, so we just received an emergency page over public uh, public broadcast. And so where did that come from? So uh, PBS North Carolina is broadcasting ATSC3 from one of their big boomer uh, towers in Uh, Farmville, North Carolina, just outside of Greenville, uh, ECU University. From this location where we are at the Riot Labs, at the Riot office, we are 61 miles away from that 1500 foot tower. And inside of a a brick warehouse in downtown Raleigh, 
for us to be receiving pages from that tower is truly amazing, um, especially when ATSC3 is rolled out on all the broadcast infrastructure. This area will certainly not be being serviced by that tower all the way out in eastern North Carolina, but the fact that we're receiving those now bodes very well for the design and penetration. Yeah, yeah. emergency signals by their nature need to be things that are never missed, right? And Correct. so I, uh, I know anyone who listens to radio in their car knows if you can go 60 miles without losing a radio station, that's, that's pretty amazing. You certainly can't go that far before switching from cell tower to cell tower. Uh, and I'll, I'll point out, uh, our office sits on the west side of downtown. The center of downtown is all high rises. Uh, you have to get through those high rises to get to the tower that you're talking about. So that's a pretty big RF shield. We're in an urban jungle, right? Yeah. And, and uh, part of the uh, <clears throat> part of the feasibility was to test in three different regions of North Carolina, where we have the coastal, the the central, and the mountains, and they all pose their own challenges. The the coastal region is more about distance. Uh, the urban environment is why, like you said, it's an urban jungle of interference and reflection. And in uh, the mountains, it's all about terrain and uh, repeater sites and, uh, and coverage within these shadows of the mountains. So, uh, so PBS is involved, which is exciting. They obviously have the broadcast towers to blanket in PBS North Carolina's case, all of North Carolina. But this sounds like something that once proven, really, it would be straightforward to scale across the whole nation. Could this become a standard? It can. And uh, as a matter of fact, uh, I, first I'll say private broadcasters are also interested in this, uh, very interested because they have a mandate to serve the, the need of the people as well. So we also, as part of our phase two contract, got Capital Broadcasting Corporation, WREL, who is an ATSC3 broadcaster in Raleigh, we actually used their broadcast infrastructure for supplying the paging technology in the urban Raleigh area. That's very interesting. So this is great. PBS can do certain things across the state. Maybe not everybody watches PBS. Are we gonna have a point where, you know, when the thunderstorm warning scrolls as a ticker across the bottom of the screen mm -hmm. that it's gonna be delivered with your technology? Sure, okay. So yeah, one of the things to think about is what is emergency contact, uh, content? So there's, there's NOAA weather alerts that you'll see on your TV. There's, uh, there's traditional emergency paging traffic that the normal person doesn't typically see. It's usually protected for the emergency services groups. There's also uh, national emergency. Uh, uh, if we have hurricane warnings coming through that, that would require uh, broad notification of, of the general public. So the answer is yes, this technology can exist in multiple spaces for multiple consumers. Uh, all the way down to a very secure private first responder to being incorporated into the set-top boxes to show the people sitting at home watching TVs to receivers in cars that are picking off the ATSC3 signal. So even people that are mobile in their cars would benefit from these applications. So anybody out there that's building devices of any kind and wanting to know like, how could I integrate this technology in? This is what Device Solutions does. That's what we do. And then the other uh, really interesting thing about ATSC3 specifically is that it's IP, it's IP data. So if you think about an IP data source, if it's Ethernet provided, if it's Wi-Fi, if it's whatever that IP data source is, 
it can very easily be transported into the data encoder for broadcast on HTSC3. So the, the use cases are tremendous. The facilitation of it is wide open. All of the, the work that you're doing for first responders and emergency response is fantastic. This technology was born out of available spectrum, you know, spectrum efficiency. What are the other verticals or maybe the next vertical that might take advantage of ATSC 3.0? Oh, that, that's a great question that we, also, that we also get all the time. So even beyond the organizations that are traditionally tied to emergency services and first responders, government agencies, NOAA, um, et cetera, Think of things like um, distance-based learning entities. So during COVID, when we had lots of, uh, of at-home learning where lesson plans and content that the teachers need to get to the students can be brought that don't have access to internet, for example, a very low cost receiver can be placed in the student's hands to where they're receiving all the curriculum, all the data uh, via ATSC3 broadcast. Um, there's really interesting use cases for drones as well, that um, drones have, uh, have plans where uh, no fly zones, but communication from drones back to terrestrial entities is difficult in some ways. So uh, broadcast uh, to drones is also a very interesting application. And then other things like uh, downloading new software, new maps to the automotive industry, to everything that's on, on board on, uh, on vehicles. Uh, can be done uh, very simply without clogging the or being faced with the unreliability of the cellular network in some spaces. So, and because it's IP based, it's actually the, the pieces plugged together very nicely to where IP based data can be pushed easily to broadcast. Really simple system integration. So yeah, anyone out there that's listening that works for Google, we need these receivers in every Chromebook. <laughs> uh, for Ford or GM, we need them in every car, et cetera. And by the way, device solutions can do that. Right? We can help you with that. There we are. All right. You've got the phase one proof concept. We're getting pages in the studio, 61 miles from the tower. Phase two has been awarded now. What's phase two going to unlock for us? Okay. So phase two was a, a year and a half long project that we actually wrapped up in April of this year. Uh, phase two focused on taking what we accomplished in the feasibility study to prove that, yeah, this can be done with the existing technology and to actually build receivers and get them in the hands of emergency responders across the state and to hold live trials with them side by side with the existing pager technology so we can ensure reliability, coverage, security, additional information, improve situational awareness for our end users. So that was a, a, a huge undertaking, uh, involved us also coordinating with the CAD E911 centers. So when you make a 911 call, your call is routed to an E911 call center. An operator at the call center will enter your data. That data will then be sent to the existing uh, system through a series of analog tones that the pagers can receive. That's where we injected, let's get that data out of the CAD exactly as it's sent to the existing systems, but now over IP to a normalization server, which takes that data and then sends it through a transport encoder 
to get it into the flavor of ATSC three broadcast that can be sent out for our receivers to, to pick off. So we also had to coordinate with the, the CAD folks. Then we had to coordinate with the folks that provide the tools to PBS North Carolina and WRAL to broadcast their content. WRAL gets a, a program feed of, of Oprah. They have this huge network operations center. They have this huge media center where they take that content and then broadcast it over, over the air. We are another broadcast stream to be incorporated into their broadcast. I hope you're as successful as the next Oprah. <laughs> <laughs> and then uh, now back to circling, circling all the way back to your original question then. So for the uh, for the uh, the trials that we had with the end users, is this this is a good time to talk yeah. about about that? So a couple of really interesting uh, anecdotes from the, from the trials. Uh, very close cooperation with the E nine one one coordinators within the the counties, and with specific fire chiefs uh, within within firehouses. Um, the Winterville Fire Station was super supportive uh, of the effort. They have a very unique situation where their existing trunked system doesn't reach far out into the into the county where they have uh, first volunteer responders. Their cellular based applications, there are areas where they have no cell coverage in these very rural areas. So they were very excited to see if our receivers could work in these areas where they have no cell coverage, challenging coverage for their existing trunk Motorola system down in the, in the basements of hospitals where, where, they would, uh, where they know that they're missing pages today. So we worked with them to outline a, a test plan and drive route for these known problem areas. And in every case, the broadcast ATSC3 signal uh, was able to be uh, received by our pager. Thanks again to the uh, to the incredible propagation analysis by the folks at uh, WRC. If I if I can give a, a shout out to uh, some folks at WRC, so John Schwartz and Shruti Sura and Scott Vance were all instrumental in providing those uh, propagation analysis and antenna design for for the receiver. So Jerry uh, Jerry Hayes's folks hats hats off to them. So an interesting story with the, the fire chief in Winterville. Uh, after all this coordination with him, when it came time to deliver the receivers to him and his crew to kick off the, the test period, we're in their fire station, um, going through the user interface, going through the usage of the devices, uh, when our receiver alerts, there's an emergency, there's, a, there's an emergency alert. Uh, Chief Moore looks at me and says, is that a test message? And I said, no, no, sir. That's a real emergency alert. Uh, note that their devices and their fire alert, their firehouse alerts have not occurred yet. So he says, well, that's interesting because we haven't yet got the alert for, and then, then they get the alert at the firehouse and on their uh, devices. So by at least 10 seconds, we, we beat uh, the alerted in their firehouse. And as he's, uh, he and his crew are getting up from the table to run out to uh, service this alert, he looks back and says, that's impressive. Can't wait to do this. And then um, 
after the trial ended, they actually requested that they continue using our devices so that their uh, volunteer first responders could continue to take our devices to areas that have no coverage or unreliable coverage or no self coverage uh, until all the way until June. So uh, they continued to use devices for an additional four months at the end of the official trial. It's really amazing. And I'm glad that you, you called out a few people that are doing this work. You know, there's so many unsung heroes, including these volunteers that, that serve in every community to be available for emergencies. And the fact that there's people that are willing to, to help, no matter the cause, it, we just can't even get to them because the cellular networks aren't built out enough into the rural areas or et cetera, et cetera, but where they were down in their basement and out of signal range. And you can suddenly get to all these places. Um, it's impactful. As you said, at the open, it's going to save lives. What, what's next? What, what, where, where do we go from here? Right. So after the successful completion of phase two, we're now moving uh, into what's called phase three commercialization. So uh, as we discussed earlier, device solutions, we're really focused on being the best uh, engineering services uh, design consulting company that we can be. We are not experts on the distribution and sales of emergency paging equipment. So we're looking to partner with folks that are experts in that space, not as a replacement, as a not as a competitor to the existing systems, but as a secondary secure means of communication to provide a low cost solution, uh, especially in rural, rural areas where they can't afford to have these expensive radios and receivers given to all of the volunteers. Um, so we're looking for partners for uh, dis sales distribution and we're looking for partners to incorporate our technology into a product line that they are familiar with, that they can distribute and sales and market. Maybe people listening that say, I want to get plugged into this or I can contribute in some way. What's the best way for them to get involved? Yeah, so the number one is um, uh, contact Chris Lamb or myself at Device Solutions. Reach out to us. Um, the content will be available at the, uh, at the, end, of this, uh, at the end of this podcast. Uh, that's number one. We have a, a lot of material out in the ether that, that uh, we'll also post. Uh, we've had uh, lots of uh, awards that we've received from the National Association of Broadcasters. They gave us the, uh, the Technology Innovation of the Year Award. And we actually walked across the big stage and shook hands of the uh, presidents of the NAB. Same with the ATSC, we received awards from them. So there's great published uh, papers presentations and content that these uh, prospective partners can look at and really understand what we're looking for for partners going forward. That's fantastic. And for those listening, you can find uh, Tony and the whole team, whole device solutions team at device-solutions.com. Uh, really, really fantastic work. One day there's going to be a movie to document this that, you know, that we're going to look back and say like, how did this come about? If you were able to cast folks in that movie and you're playing a starring role, of course, give, give our listeners a visual. Who would play you in that uh, veteran story of <laughs> ATSC 3.0? All right. Well, I've been told that uh, and you guys can either uh, boo and hiss or, or maybe shake your heads and say kind of uh, that I have a resemblance to Sean Astin. So the uh, one of the hobbits in the uh, in the Peter Jackson movies and then 
uh, played a role in Stranger Things uh, as, as well. So I, I think probably uh, Sean asked and we have a, a similar build and uh, we're both incredibly shy and very reserved. And uh, <laughs> so probably Sean asked it. So I would recommend then your next test needs to be see, to see, can you get a page to Middle Earth? <laughs> I think uh, that, that, that could be a, a good test all the way out to Mordor or somewhere. Nice. Um, I, I would like to shout out, there have been, there are a couple other uh, folks that have been involved from the inception through phase one, through phase two, and continue to be huge advocates of the technology and who are very well plugged in uh, to the the ecosystem and to the end users. So, like I said earlier, Red Grasso with the uh, North Carolina Department of Information Technology and the first tech director. Um, the folks at PBS North Carolina uh, under Fred Engel. Fred is the CTO of PBS North Carolina, and and his team. Without their support, uh, Mo Fat, me and Don Smith and Casey Jennings, we never would have been able to get the broadcast uh, up and running and customized to support our application for emergency paging. And then we talked a little bit about the, uh, the broadcast encoder. We have to take that content and somehow get it broadcast. So there's a, a great company uh, called Treveni, uh, Mark Coral, Dave Catapano and, and uh, Coda and Ralph and the team at Treveni uh, to again, help us define a series of AP custom APIs to make the integration of the paging technology over ATSC3 happen uh, was, really, was really key. Uh, Pete Hollenbeck uh, did our normalization server software implementation. Uh, again, former, uh, former uh, fire chief, lots of uh, experience in the, uh, in the technology. Uh, and uh, the DHS team of uh, Dusty Lang and um, Norman Spiker, and uh, Mawa Johnson had been absolutely fantastic and big supporters of the program at WRAL. You know, we had Pete Socket, the director of engineering at Capital Broadcasting help get us the emergency paging up and running for Raleigh, North Carolina. And of course the, the folks at uh, Device Solutions who were really instrumental in, in making, this, uh, making this happen. So Jim Marting on the hardware side, um, Pete Pappas on all the the field testing and uh, Chris Little for uh, the uh, software development. Without that core group of of, of folks, uh, this never would have come to pass. It's fantastic. It really demonstrates the commitment, uh, the complexity of these systems that to those first responders will now seem so simple. I can now get the page that I couldn't get before with the additional context and the situational awareness that you talked about. To really make a difference. Okay, so one more piece about the uh, uh, the increased situational awareness. Because it's IP, because it's digital, because it's secure, we now have the ability to send additional information to the first responders that would help them on the ground. So instead of having to go through a, a binder of pre-plans for a specific building's layout, now we can send all that digitally directly to the first responders. If the, because it's a secure network, if the patient uh, that's the subject of the emergency call has a medical condition uh, that needs to be conveyed to the first responders to help them uh, perform the duties at that location, we can send that kind of HIPAA protected patient information to the first responders. So when we talk about increased situational awareness, 
we're not just talking about better coverage, better reliability, better uh, increased latency. We're also talking about the ability to get more information to the first responders to help them on scene and get them on scene. That's fantastic. Uh, does it also open a future potential for bi-directional communications, not just alerts going out, but the ability to send information? Right, that's a great question. So we, we get this question a lot because it's a broadcast technology. So uh, what's what's the return path? So in addition, our, uh, our devices, we actually do have a Bluetooth component where we can send the data over Bluetooth to a smartphone. We can take advantage of all the onboard applications within the smartphone to make this solution even better. Turn by turn directions right from the smartphone. So when the emergency page comes on our application on the smartphone, they can immediately hit turn by turn directions based on the address in the, uh, in the alert. Uh, in addition, we can provide information back to our server where the uh, fire chief can see every person that has our receiver, he can see if they're on their way to the scene or not, how far the way they are from the scene, et cetera. That's another, uh, another uh, quick uh, benefit that the folks in uh, Winterville really, really appreciated that um, even when their phones don't have cell coverage, cell service, our receiver had ATSC3 coverage, would receive the alert, send the alert over Bluetooth to the smartphone that did not have cellular coverage, but was able to communicate over Bluetooth and render the emergency page and the information on the smartphone. It is absolutely fantastic stuff. Thank you so much for coming out over. We are going to have you back at the end of phase three to hear an update. Wonderful. Can't wait to do that. I hope one day that uh, we can even broadcast the right underground over this technology in some way. We'll uh, we'll cross that bridge when it comes. Right now, that's reserved the spectrum for the emergency responders. It sounds great. Thank you for having me. Thanks for listening to another episode of the Riot Underground podcast. The Riot Underground podcast is created and produced by Riot Studios with music by Scott Jackson. Riot is a nonprofit focused on economic development through the Internet of Things or IoT. By capturing emerging markets, producing educational events and conferences, and accelerating startups, creating IoT opportunities locally, nationally, and globally. Learn how to engage by visiting us at riot.org or sending us an email at info at riot.org.